Hey, everybody. This is Rob with Local Tri-Vibe, and I have uh, an open water swimmer with us today, uh, Anders Jacobson. Uh, Anders, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing awesome. Look, I, I know uh, I know you got a lot going on. Open water swimmers um, typically have less time than anybody because they do just insane amounts of swimming. So I appreciate your time. <clears throat> you are one of the people who influenced me and my swimming. So um, I'd like to try to, to get an idea of, of some of the big things you've accomplished swimming and what it takes to get there. So if you can start, tell me a little bit about who you are and, and how you got started in this whole open water swimming, uh, marathon swimming uh, thing. Sure. Okay. We got to go back to 1999. I was at that point in the U.S. Navy, and I was mm -hmm. asked to go to um, SAR school, search and rescue swimmer school. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and I rediscovered my love for the water. At the time, I was training to run the Marine Corps Marathon, and I did that in October of 99 or something like that, and I found that this running six days a week was not for me. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm running, I'm swimming, why don't we put a bike in? So I started doing triathlons, and I did that for 15 years, and... Uh, that was – what I can say about triathlon is it's an awesome sport to train for, but then when it comes to equipment, it gets a little ridiculous. So right. it was not really my cup of tea, and I started reevaluating my things in 2012 that go back to what you love and go back to swimming. So I decided to start swimming again. Uh, full-time, and was it 2013 or 14? I swam across Chesapeake Bay from, um, what's it called? Fisherman's Island to Chicks Beach. And um, that was my start of the swimming progress, and after that, it's gone straight up. <laughs> So, so tell me, this Fisherman's Island, I know the body of water very well, but for whatever reason, it's not, people don't swim it. Like, it's a big body of water. Tell, are you the only one or the first one? How to, tell me the history of that, that swim. What I know about is that I was the seventh person who did it. Let's see, seven, am I right? Seven or eight. I know that four Navy SEALs have done that. Uh, as a fundraiser, mm -hmm. and I was know that he's – no, no, it was solo swims, what I understood. Okay. And and I also know that at least two civilians have done it before me. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so – How big is that body of water from point to point? I believe it's uh, 13 and a half miles. Okay. Point to point. So how do you, have you but, swum anything my, that far at that point? No. I never swam anything that far. Okay. So what, what you got to do is you train up to a certain amount of time in the water, say eight hours in the water, and then so then you have the distance, and after that it's all the mental part. 
tell me what that means. Because people who ride bikes, you know, they might ride 100 miles and think that's mental. What is the difference between, because you have that trap on experience too. So you know what pushing yourself is all about. You know what hard training is all about. What is that difference? What draws you to open water swimming versus something like triathlon? I know the equipment, but what about the mental aspect? Well, it's, it's pure. It's you in the water. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. There's no equipment. There's you completely naked, figure of speak. I mean, you'll have a swimsuit on and, and cap and goggles. And you're in, you know, you're in the nature. You're, you're nothing else. And you're completely vulnerable for anything that happens in the water. Now, right. a lot of people, they say, aren't you afraid of sharks? And I always say, well, 35,000 people die in, car, in, in traffic in the U.S. alone every year. And on average, about six people die by shark attacks worldwide. Right. So it, it's, the, it's the purity of it, and, it's the, and not many people do it. Right. It's like there's this primal fear of open water, and it's not just sharks. It's anything under the surface. So, so you've been swimming a long time. What, other, what kind of things do you experience while you're in the water? I mean, things from seaweed all the way up to what are the most bizarre things you've experienced in open water swimming? The most bizarre thing that I've experienced in the water? Well, what, one of the more fun things that you experience in the water is when you get accompanied by a um, harbor seal. Because they, cool. a harbor seal, I mean, I swim with them daily here in, on the West Coast. And, I mean, they're, they're so fascinating. They're so curious. They're like little puppies. And they will nudge you over and over and really? over again. And then they will pop up and look at you and you can see in their eyes, they're wondering, why are you so slow? <laughs> nice, nice. So you actually have swam with them. It sounds like you've done this on more than one occasion with the, uh, what are the harbor seals, did you say? Yeah, yeah. That, that, uh, harbor seals are a daily occurrence. Wow. wow. Now, so harbor seals, I mean. The, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I live in Monterey, California right now. And harbor seals, I mean, they're puppies. They're harmless. We don't, we, we enjoy swimming with them. Mm-hmm. They can bite, uh, but it's not as common. But then if you go up in size to sea lions, mm-hmm. they can be mean. And they really? can actually attack you and hurt you. Uh, we had an in, we had an incident where four people, three people got attacked up here in San Francisco when I was swimming there. I was the first one by a sea lion over a span of three days. Wow! And yeah, two two of the guys, I was I was I got slapped around a couple times and it bit me in the foot, but nothing serious. But the other two guys who got bit. Uh, they were in serious, serious condition afterwards. Wow. <clears throat> so sea, lion, sea lions, they're, they're, they can be a little more aggressive. 
Now, was that just one, or was that just as a species they're more aggressive than the seals? They are more aggressive than the seals, and they're a lot bigger. A, a big male can get up to 850 pounds. Wow. Wow, that's kind of creepy being in the water or something like that. Yeah, and, and they're, they're, I mean, they can swim 25 miles an hour. Hmm. So, you know, that if they go after you, there's nothing you can do. And that, that is something also about the whole open water swimming. I coach a lot of people swimming. And the first thing I tell them is, okay, you have one choice to make. You can swim in a box. And you, that's fine if that's your choice. Or you can experience the freedom of swimming open water, but there's absolutely nothing you can do about wildlife. Right. Wildlife are in the water. So either you accept that or you don't. Right. So tell me this. You're doing some of these long swims. Um, tell me about uh, nighttime swimming. Are you doing any evening swims, night swims, uh, any yes. anything like that? Yes, we swim dur- during the night. Uh, I am scheduled to swim um, Catalina to L.A. in August. Um, with this crazy coronavirus, we don't know what's going to happen with that yet, but as it is right now, it still stands. And that mm-hmm. swim is 21 miles, and you start at 10 o'clock at night and swim through the night. So wow. it's listen, very important. What I, what I know about Catalina is that's, a, that's shark territory. Like, that's great white territory, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. At night. That, that, is, that is great white territory. And one thing that you have to learn, so you go from a pool to open water. That's a big Mm -hmm. step. Sure. Now go from open water to night swimming is a bigger step. Because now you you can't even see your hand. And when you're in the middle of the ocean, you can't see land anywhere. The only thing that you have is maybe a kayak next to you and a support boat. Wow. So you have to control your nerves. So like when I swam Chesapeake Bay, I knew I was going to swim in the dark at one point or another, either the start or the finish. I didn't know what, but mm-hmm. I practiced swimming at night. And the first sure. time you do it, it freaks you out. It's, it's scary. It's really scary to swim in the dark. Mm-hmm. But you have to get used to it. Sure. I, I just I can't imagine somebody who's never swam uh, open water or at night. Like most adults, they experience things as a child that scare them. But as an adult, everybody wants to be comfortable. Swimming at night in the ocean is so outside of what most people can even conceive of. It's just, uh, it's just uh, how do you get your head around it? And what do you tell yourself? And how do you... Do you settle into it? Do you ever get comfortable in it? Do you ever find um, yourself to where you're you're actually looking forward to it, or is it always unnerving to you? No, it, it takes me about it, it takes me about ten minutes to get get settled, mm-hmm. and then I just 
it is what it is and you know if if it happens if something bad happens there's nothing i can do about it and you just swim so take me into what what you do what you think of cuz when you're following um channel swimmer uh rules or marathon federation rules um, you can't listen to anything. You don't have headphones. You don't have anything. You just have your own thoughts. And I think most people can't get out of their own head, and they can't fathom a six, seven, eight, ten, eleven, twelve-hour swim. Tell me what goes through your mind when you're swimming. What do you? How do you keep yourself occupied from losing your mind? <laughs> That's a funny thing. I do math problems. <laughs> okay. What does that mean? I, I take a random three-digit number say um, 859 and I try to divide it by some odd number let's say 17 mm-hmm. and then I try to figure it out and you just do that endlessly yeah and then yeah. you know I, I, after I figure it out I try to prove it and you know that might take me half an hour to figure that out and then at, at the end, it's like, okay, it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> nice. Who, 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 so you're, who, who's going to prove me wrong, right? Right, right. So you're doing math problems. You're swimming along. Um, again, you're burning however many calories. By the way, are you um, – so you're swimming through the night. Uh, that's not a problem. Well, tell me about nutrition. Like you're not a runner. You can't just go to a water stop on the side of the road and – you know, chug down some, uh, you know, uh, uh, watermelon. What are you doing for the people who have never done this? What kind of things do you do to keep yourself uh, caloried up and hydrated and all that stuff? Or do you even need to worry about hydration in the water? Uh, yes, you do. If you swim more than two hours, you have to, th- well, actually, start in an hour. You have to start thinking about nutrition. And everybody's different. The way I feed is I have my first feed at 1.15, an hour 15, mm-hmm. and then at two hours, and then after that every 30 minutes. And it's liquid-based, but it's mixed up, and more or less you have less than 10 seconds to feed. So it's wow. because if you stop, you get cold, mm-hmm. and you're not moving. Right. It's not like a running race where, or a bike race. On a bike, you can coast. Mm-hmm. On a run race, you can walk. A lot of times when we swim, we swim in a tidal shift, and we might miss our landing spot. Oh, so right. if, if we swim and there's a certain landing spot... After you swam for 14 hours, you might have to sprint an hour all out to make that spot. So if you, if you take a minute feeding instead of 10 seconds, you're losing ground or water. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, again, these are things that runners, cyclists, and, and traditional triathletes don't have to, and pool swimmers too, for that matter. You have a – it's not a moving target but your terrain is moving. When you're riding a bike, the road is not moving sideways or up and down unless the road does exactly. it, but the road, you know what the road is doing. You can look across a body of water, and that body of water, you actually don't 100% know exactly what's going on. You know from tides and stuff, but people, it's tough to get your head around 
it's not point A to point B. It's point wiggly line. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, there's so many variables yeah. to that. How do you address, like I, you just said, one way of addressing that is, you know, you've got you've to keep your feeds down. Um, but there's water temperature. There's, there's, there's wave height. There's wind. Like, how, do you, how do you deal with the, the wind and the temperature and the, you know, things like that, wave height? That, that, all, all that go back to pilot. The pilot, he maps your course, and he is concerned about the, the tide, the wind, ship traffic, even sometimes you have to consider pollution. If you go into a garbage patch, you might have to go around it. Mm-hmm. All that is the captain's job. And it's, when we do these long swims, you have one boat, one swimmer. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the feeding and nutrition, you have our crew chief that is 100% responsible for your feed, and it it is almost like a left side of the menu in a restaurant. This is how the feeds are going to go down, every Mm -hmm. feed. But then if something happens, you know, you might have to adjust it. So... You, you have to have a good support group around you. So what's, and an, what's, that, an example of, what's an example of something that would happen that would make you change your menu mid-swim after you've planned for this for, you know, months or years in some cases? Uh, say you get an upset stomach, you get seasick. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I try to swim from Chesapeake Lighthouse, which is, what, 17 miles offshore. I try to swim back to land. And uh, I got seasick. Oof. So I got seasick about two hours in on the swim. And that, so I started actually vomiting. And I vomited for six hours nonstop. I took a Oof. feed and I vomited straight out. So at that point, you know, you have to try whatever, you, whatever possible things you can tweak. Uh, we do use Coke, flat Coke, uh, mm-hmm. to help settle stomachs. And, you know, in my case, nothing helped. And after eight hours, we decided that that was, that was enough. I mean, I was pretty beat up after vomiting for six hours nonstop. Yeah, thank you. I mean, th- things like that happens, and you just don't know. So what are conditions that you won't swim in? Like what, what was causing the vomiting? Was it just uh, over-rotating? Was it upset stomach? Or what were the conditions that caused? Oh, it was just, uh, it, it was, uh, when we started at 5 o'clock in the morning, it was just rough. And I got seasick swimming again, banged around by the waves. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm not prone to being seasick, but, you know, you can't control what your body does and, Sure. Jeez. I started so, vomiting. And when is it, so when is it too extreme for you to swim? Because you, um, you swim in some pretty nutty stuff. There's a place called Lake Memphremagog, if I remember right. Um, Correct. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, Lake Memphremagog, what we did with there was it was a winter swim festival. So they cut a 25-meter pool out of the ice, a two-lane pool. 
and uh, we raced. So right. when I did it, when when I was up there uh, three years ago, it was 30.6 degrees in the water, so below freezing. They actually had to have people raking the pool, the water, out of the sheets of ice before each heat because the fr- uh, water was freezing over. And we start at 25 meters, and each swim qualifies you for the next one. So you can't just show up and swim the 200. You have to swim each one. Right. Okay. So you swim the 25, you swim the 50, you swim the 100, and then if you want, you swim the 200. Mm-hmm. Which ones did you do? Uh, I did all of them. Nice. Now, is this a speed and, thing or is it just a, just a do-it thing? It's uh, it's officially it is a competition, but you know everybody's just happy that you do it. So <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, happy that they survive at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just a fun thing to do if if you can say call that fun. But I mean, when I after I swam the two hundred, uh, it was by eleven o'clock in the morning, and. Uh, when I went to bed at 9 o'clock at night, I was still shivering. Wow. Wow. So, it's, how, did you prepare, how did you prepare for that? Uh, you got to swim in cold water repeatedly. <laughs> and even, even if you 30, can't... Where do you find 30-degree water to swim in, though? Uh, well, you can't. In, in, I, when I was living in Virginia, the coldest... It got there that winter was 41, 40, something like that. Sure. And you just have to swim a little longer. Okay. So it's the same thing. I mean, I, I've been training for to do an ice mile for three years now, and uh, it's just haven't materialized 100% yet. I mean, my last swim was in Dublin, Ireland, and it was uh, – 44 degrees, so it's not an official ice mile. It has to be below 41. An ice mile is anything below 41? It's one mile below 41, yes. Oh, wow. Good gosh. So, and this is all skin. This is no wetsuit, correct? Oh, yeah. yeah. All swims I do is skin. Wow. Hmm. And uh, it's just like... When I was training this winter for for swimming my ice mile, San Francisco Bay was 50 or 52, which is not cold mm-hmm. enough, but you swim two hours instead. Right. Well, 50 is so, cold than most people can imagine. So, but, so is that as cold as it gets on the West Coast? Yes. Now, in San Francisco in Bay. What about in the summer? Uh, warm up at all? Uh, it's 60, so quite warm. Huh. But that's still colder. It's, it's, that's odd because it's not as – it doesn't get as cold as the East Coast in Virginia Beach, where I am, but it seems like it doesn't get as warm as it gets here either because the water will get up here easily in the 70s. It sounds yeah. like it stays pretty, uh, pretty cool. Because on the East Coast, you have uh, the Gulf Stream. Gulf Stream, right, right. Uh, that makes sense. And that's why it heats that up. So what we do is on the weekends when I train for an ice mile is we drive four hours up in the mountains 
and mm-hmm. we swim at a place called Donner Lake. And Donner Lake gets down to mid thirties. Oh wow! So it over? I can go there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's really pretty. You have mountains all around you, and you have you know snow in the mountains, and mm-hmm. you're gonna march through snow down to the beach, and you know, wade in and get going. So then you're uh, you've got an ice mile planned. You've got a Catalina swim planned. What else is on your uh, on your event calendar? Right now it's just Catalina and then a few ice miles in the beginning of the year next year. And then and I do have a I do have a slot for the English Channel next year next year, but we don't know what's going to happen with uh, Corona and um, what I mean. I'm thinking maybe the whole English Channel season this year might be canceled. So right. if they they might move all the swimmers from 2020 to 2021, and that right. would push my English Channel back a year. I I don't know. I mean, at this point, we don't know at all. Sure, sure. Well, I um I know that you've got a lot going on today. You said you still have a swim left to do today. Yeah, I'm going here in a few, in about in a little bit. We're gonna go. I uh, got a two-hour swim to do. So let me ask you this: Once um, I, I want to do some follow-up stuff with you. I'm gonna let you go in a minute, but I want to follow up and I want to get your word at least recorded that um, that after you do your ice miles, we can we can catch up and do some follow-up. We can uh, do some interviews sure. when you when you're ramping up to do your uh, English Channel swim as well. Is that a deal? Sure, not a problem. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate it, and um, we'll absolutely have to do a follow-up. So, Anders, I I appreciate your time today. Not a problem. Have a good one, Rob. Yeah, man, you too.